Hi, I'm Bruce Tolgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, published by Harvard Business Review Press. And this is The Indispensables, a podcast featuring conversations with real go-to people who stand the test of time in the real world of work. Each week, I ask my guests what they do differently that sets them apart in the workplace, what makes them tick, and what makes them so successful. On this episode of The Indispensables, Bruce is joined by Jazz Jean from the Angels of the Wind Casino Resort, and they discuss Jean's amazing career path and how she became indispensable in her career. Welcome to The Indispensables. Today I have as my guest Jazz Jean, who's the Learning and Development Manager at Angel of the Winds Casino Resort. Uh, they've got, you know, just 700 or so team members uh, north of Seattle. Uh, and, and full disclosure, Jazz and I go way back. She was a client back uh, in the old days at a previous employer, uh, another hospitality-oriented organization um, where we had a chance to work together. We go way back. And um, I think the world of Jazz Jean, and you're going to love getting to meet her. Jazz, welcome to The Indispensables. Thank you, Bruce. It's super exciting to be here. I'm uh, so looking forward to our conversation today. And uh, you've touched on my kryptonite, which is talking about learning and development. So bring it on. Excellent. Excellent. So so uh, just for those who don't know you, I mean, you started your working life as a dishwasher uh, in a small restaurant in New Orleans. Uh, how do you end up being in charge of the learning and development uh, for 700 team members at a great big casino north of Seattle. Well, um, you know, Bruce, one of the things that I've learned from uh, being in a small restaurant in New Orleans was, you know, you had to do a multiple of task. And being in a dishwasher area, you know, there was no machine. You had to do everything by hand. And, you know, from my earliest time from that particular point, um, I came from a very large family down in New Orleans. Food and beverage was always very, very big in my uh, family and my background. Um, so I just kind of stayed in that food and beverage realm. And, you know, as as well as I do, food and beverage can bring in so many different areas. Um, you know, you talk about chef, you talk about wine, you talk about uh, talent, you talk about, you know, the industry, the different styles from fine dining to fast food. So I stayed in that industry for well into, you know, my 30s or so. And I just really enjoyed just the different layers of country club work, uh, resort work, uh, fine dining work, athletic clubs. Until I just got to the point where I opened up a closet one day, Bruce, in one of our restaurants in Canil Bay down in the Caribbean. I was there for two years and I was the director of three restaurants. I opened up this closet and there was a, a bunch of manuals in this closet that had some white binders on it. And this the binders all had labels on them that were you know, housekeeping and they had, uh, you know, culinary and they had gift shop and they had all of these positions inside of hotels and casinos. They had golf course. And so I started reading through them and they were training manuals. They were actual manuals of how to do the job. And I started reading through them. I'm thinking, oh my God, this is so simple. This is so easy. So needless to say, I got rid of the food and beverage industry and I went into the learning and development field, the training aspect. And that's when the light bulb came on. Um, this was what I always wanted to do. And I didn't know that's what I wanted to do, but I also know that I enjoyed working with people and different aspects. As a matter of fact, I always had to reinvent myself 
as I went through my career, because there was always something new coming on board, you know, and it's just like fine wine. You have to find out which one you like, but you got to taste a lot in order to be able to figure out which one you really like. And I just really enjoyed the different layers of, of personalities, different layers of jobs and positions that you would have in, you know, how to, how to cut a hole on the golf course. Well, how did they get that little round hole so precise? And what did they do with that little plug of grass? You know, I learned how to do that kind of stuff. Which was you really you cool. learned how to do that because you're so curious and you're a people <laughs> and you're a people people, right? I mean, you are, you are, you are a classic people people. When I think of people people, uh, you are one of the first ones who comes to my mind. And, you know, what I'm thinking is, so how long were you working in restaurants and hospitality and and so on before you discovered those manuals in the closet? Probably about 20 years, Bruce, um, off and okay. on from the guys. And, 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 and let's not lose the fact that, uh, so over those 20 years, where you found yourself was the director of three restaurants. So uh, people obviously noticed you, your drive, your ambition, your charisma early on. I mean, so what happened when you were washing dishes and what was the first big move? (laughs) The first big move, of course, was to, you know, you have to pay your dues. So you go from dishwasher to busser, which meant that not only are you washing the dishes, now you're clearing the tables. And then from there, you go into a little bit of serving and being a waitress. And this was a little small 10 table restaurant in New Orleans. And then you go into learning how to make drinks. And we didn't have trays back then. So we actually carried everything by hand. And then you'd uh, learn how to do a little bit of a small banquet or two. And then you learned a little bit about wine because it was only three wines on the wine list. And you know there was a, a red, a white, and maybe a rosé if you could get one. And so was this was this all in the same restaurant? Yep, all in the same restaurant. So, so what, that's so interesting because you know I often say that restaurants are incredible learning laboratories, and so much goes on in a restaurant. It's such a tough business too. Uh, but 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 just for the record, not everybody has every single job in the restaurant before they're done. Not really, but you know, in <laughs> having one cook, you learn how to cook. You know, I learned how to clean squid. You know, you learn how to 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 uh, make salad dressing. And because of the different aspects of working something small, I was able to put my hands in just about every aspect of the job, even from how to park cars. You know, when the the restaurant got busy, we didn't have very much of a parking spot, so people would tell you to go park cars. You know, because we needed to get the guest into the restaurant. So it was a little bit of everything in this very small place. So I was always curious about, okay, well, what's the next step? Okay, well, what's the next step? And then I opened up a restaurant, helped open up a restaurant in Dallas. Um, in, uh, it was the very first Ruth Chris Steakhouse in Dallas. And that was an experience of how to open up a restaurant. Well, and, and a Ruth's Chris, no, no less. So not to say that a 10 table restaurant in New Orleans isn't something because it is. Yeah, and it's its own kind of learning laboratory. And may, maybe and, and, and you said, you know, I learned how to do this. I learned how to do that. I learned how to do this. I learned how to do that. So so you were already a learning machine, obviously. And then no small thing to be opening. I mean, Ruth's Chris, for those who don't know, it is, is kind of a fancy restaurant as chain restaurants go. Right. You, you got it. It was, you know, and I learned from Ruth Fertel herself. So she was the owner of the franchise. And that um, was a wow. whole, whole gamut of how does some 
you know, single mom of two boys learn how to open up a restaurant. And so I became very interested in the financial aspect. So I learned how to do the books and how to record all the, the meat and actually how to cut the meat. So I became a little bit of a chef at Ruth Chris Steakhouse where, you know, I learned how to, you know, cut fillets and porterhouses and stuff and then cook. And that's when I learned that I didn't belong in the back of the house. I belonged in the front of the house. You know, as a chef, you have to stay in the kitchen. Well, the, they could never find me in the kitchen. I was always talking to someone at the tables. We, that's when I knew that I was a people person out front and I really needed to stay out front and really absorb that dynamics because when things are happening in a restaurant, you can just feel it. And that's when, you know, sales go up. I always was really very well compensated from a gratuity standpoint because people like to have energy at a table. They like uh, that connection that you make with people. They like that, that eye contact. They like asking about it. And not only that, but they also like welcoming them back. I knew who was going to be sitting at what table, what time. And even to the point where I was very predictable, you know, I knew exactly what wine I was going to sell that night and the bartender knew what drinks I were going to sell that night. So it was a very interesting path to um, not only director or, you know, running restaurants, but um, knowing the front of the house, the back of the house and the financial aspects of how things run when it comes to profit and loss and wine margins and which ones to take off the restaurant menu mix. So it was a really, and hiring and interviewing and how to upkeep a restaurant, you know, from floor maintenance to cleaning the filters in the fan above the stove. You know, there's a lot of different things that you had to learn how to do in a restaurant. So what I want to draw a bright line under here is the way you're talking about this experience. I always say to people, Knowledge work is not about what you do. It's about how you do whatever you do. And if you're a learning machine, washing dishes is, is, is knowledge work, right? If you're a learning machine, uh, working in the back of the house, you learn how to clean the squid. <laughs> and, and, you know, you learn, and, 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 you know, going back and forth between the front of the house and the back of the house. One of the things I find so interesting about restaurants, similar grocery stores, I find really mm -hmm. interesting. Hotels, I find interesting. I mean, I guess I find um, uh, a lot of different kinds of organizations interesting, but they're systems and there's so much going on. There's so much complexity. So uh, here you are, your approach to working in these organizations uh, was always a learning and development approach. You know, Bruce, when you find a passion or you find a, a, a niche on what sticks, and I use this word stickability. Stickability is one of those things where when you find a way to get that light bulb to come on, whether it's in myself or some other team member, you stick with it. You, 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 you ingrain it. You know, I would have team members that would start their first day and I would be the director or the manager of the restaurant. And their first day on the job was to work the dish pit. They had to go wash dishes and they said, no, I got hired as a server. I'm not supposed to be washing dishes. You learned a lot by washing dishes your first day on the job. You learn how to coordinate. You learn how to appreciate. You learn how things go in the kitchen. You learn timing. You learn preparation. So there's so many things that you can learn in this particular position. And not only that, but you also have a certain appreciation for the person doing that job, which is not always the most pleasant job in the world. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's 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 you know it's sort of like enterprise rent a car. You go work at enterprise, uh, no matter what job you have. Uh, the first thing you do is wash cars in the parking lot. 
Mm-hmm. And and uh, partly because you learn different things by being in that spot mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. being uh, in that kind of vector of influence, but also you appreciate the fact that, gosh, someone's got to wash these cars. Yep, exactly. It's like a room attendant. You know, when you're a room attendant, you know, we've always uh, approached it from an, an awareness standpoint. What is the guest telling you in their room when they're not there? Um, are they drinking Coca-Cola in cans or they're drinking, you know, Gatorade? Um, are they using more soap or hand lotion? Can I leave a little bit extra because that's what I'm being aware of, of what they're actually using. So if I notice that they're using extra hand towels because I'm replacing more than the normal standard, maybe I should leave a little bit of extra. It's about that awareness factor of what you learn while you're actually in the position. And not only that, but that's that appreciation that a guest would come back and say, wow, you know, how did they know that, you know, to leave a couple of extra cans of Diet Coke? And that was one of my own personal experiences. The team members at some of the hotels, when I would go, knew I drank Diet Coke. So they'd empty out the mini bar and they'd just put Diet Coke in there. Because- and, you know, and you noticed that, and not only did you notice that, but you took the larger lesson. It was one of those things that I'm like, okay, this is good. This is good, good things to know because in that aspect, you can then say, okay, guys, let's, let's put this into a learning environment. Let's, let's test this theory. All right. Let's test to see if you just automatically put something in a guest room. Will they appreciate it? Will they leave you a little gratuity because it is all about maybe a little gratuity here or there. And it worked. It absolutely worked, you know, and I was very instrumental in helping team members figure that part out, which again, gives me that, that kryptonite that I need when I see that light bulb come on. And, um, you know, there was a story where I had uh, team members at a restaurant and they weren't making any money at breakfast because as we know, breakfast servers typically are the least tipped position in a restaurant. So most people typically over tip. And I said, guys, I tell you what we're going to do tomorrow morning. We're going to have everybody walk around the restaurant with pictures of fresh squeezed orange juice in their hand. And you're not going to approach the table by saying, may I start you off with some coffee or a coffee? If I want coffee, I'll order coffee, but we're going to start off by saying, may I pour you some, may I offer you some fresh squeezed orange juice? And it's nice and cold and it's dripping. Who's going to say no on the vacation with fresh orange juice in your hand? Now, we sold more orange juice that day than the chef was so mad because we sold out orange juice. He didn't have any more orange juice. It was $6 a glass, but nobody really complained about that. You know, so there's ways to bring out sales in a much, much bigger fashion than just going up to the table and say, we're not going to say coffee. We're going to say latte. We're going to say cappuccino. We're going to say espresso. We're going to put those things in people's minds, you know, kind of like a, uh, you know, hyper, you know, we're going to just kind of get in their brain a little bit on vacation. I want fresh orange juice. If you ask a kid, may I get you some ice cream or hot cocoa? No parent is going to say no on vacation. Absolutely not. (laughs) No parent is going to say so you sell more hot chocolate. All you got to do is say it. If you say but hot it's, chocolate. But it's, it's a sales strategy, but it's also a customer service strategy, right? Absolutely. And it's, yeah. and it's a relationship strategy because uh, when someone's walking around with pitchers of fresh squeezed orange juice, that also sends a message. This is a higher end experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe even psychologically, it prepares me for the fact that this breakfast might be a little more expensive. But it's but but what am I going to talk about afterwards? Oh, they were upselling the orange juice. No, I'm going to say, 
man, they had fresh squeezed orange juice. Exactly. Exactly. So it's and a, that was part of the, absolutely. And that was part of the, the, the learning process that I was really engaged in. And, you know, I had a lot of help along the way. Don't, don't get me wrong there. I learned from my team, you know, my team taught me a lot about rewards and recognition. And, you know, I would go around at the end of the evening and then, you know, one of my particular restaurants and I would slap everybody on the back and say, good job, good job, good job, good job, everybody. Good job. Well, shortly thereafter, I found out that I was known as good job jazz. That's what <laughs> they used to call me. I was good job jazz. And I, I it was confusing. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Why, why are you guys calling me that? They said, well, you say good job to everybody. And I happened to be talking to a new team member at the time, and they were telling this new team member that uh, she really doesn't mean it. She's just she says that to everybody. Bang! The light bulb went on, Bruce. I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" That's what I'm known as. So I had to take a step back and say, "I'm not sincere in my reward, in my compliment. I have to change it up." And so you go through the steps of actually watching what people do, and they really want to know that you notice what they're doing. You know, are they details, really the details, in details, right? in details. I want to thank you for, I don't know, talking to that guest or upselling that salad or upselling two bottles of wine, whatever it was, they wanted me to know specifically what they were going to get a good job jazz for, not just a good job. So I, it, it, it was a light bulb that went on that it's important to recognize specifically what people do and reward them in whether it's just a, a high five or whatever it is, but you have to go out and find the good, the good, not always the bad. Cause that's when typically people, managers show up is when they're, there's something wrong, you know? So I found out that if you go out and do the 99%, which is the good stuff, find the good stuff. The 1% kind of takes care of itself. You know, it's not always something that you have to point out. And that's such a great story because it, it illustrates both you learning, but also it illustrates uh, not just learning how to praise in a more meaningful way, but also the, the relationship between praise and reinforcing the behavior you're trying to right. teach. So if you're trying to teach someone upselling that wine selling that salad or uh, whatever you're trying to teach them, if you're more precise about the good job, about this specific thing, it's much more likely to replicate that behavior, right? They're going to learn, oh, that behavior was the one that got me praised. That's the behavior I want to repeat, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, so and I found that over the years, Bruce, it's more about, you know, do you know the job? Um, and you and I've had that conversation, you know, a lot of things you point out in your books is, do you know the job? You know, I think a lot of my success has been because I can relate to team members because I've done the job. I've cleaned toilets, I've made beds, um, I've parked cars, I've, uh, you know, I've butchered lumpfish, you know, I helped plate banquets, I've carried food, I've opened up wine. So there's a lot of skills that you have to learn along the way. That way, when someone comes in and as a manager and they say, oh, you have no idea what I'm dealing with. I'm like, yes, I do. Yes, I do. And that relationship starts. And once you can get that conversation going with the relationship, 
everything else opens up. They're more likely to tell you what's going on. And, you know, I've found out so much stuff by just basically talking to people in the kitchen or in the housekeeping department or at the front desk. You know, Jez, we don't have a, what, you know, you get, a, get to read comments about guest comments and they said, oh, the rooms were dirty. I'm like, what do you mean the rooms are dirty? And they said, yeah, just the rooms are dirty. Look at the comments. Say the, the guest rooms are dirty. So I go talk to the housekeepers. Come to find out we only have two vacuum cleaners that are working. What do you mean we only have two vacuum cleaners? Well, the rest are in maintenance and they haven't fixed them yet. I'm like, so I go back to the general manager and I say, we only got two housekeeping vacuum cleaners. They said, what? What are you talking about? Well, sometimes you have to get in there to find out what's really going on. And sometimes you have to get in there to find out what's really going yeah. on. And but it's look. not a reflection on any one manager or position, but sometimes if you're not involved in the actual day-to-day work, you forget about, you know, you get so busy being a manager with the meetings and the, you know, the budgets and the forecasting and all that stuff. And you forget about actually rolling up your sleeves one day and just, you know, I'm going to go make beds and walk with the housekeepers one day. Yeah. So is that, do you advise uh, uh, that, that managers should do that? If, if you're going to manage that position, you should go see what that's like. Absolutely. You have to know the job. You have to spend the time in the position, one, to gain the respect of your team, and two, to really understand what you're talking about. And not only that, but by doing that, you sometimes uncover systems that might be incorrect. You might find you know, ways to save money or cut costs, but you also might find ways that learning and developing. Sometimes team members come up with things that you think, well, that's a great way to do that. Why don't we adopt this? Because I always stole other people's great ideas. You know, if it's a great idea, I'm going to steal it, you know? Well, that's, you know, that's, I mean, that's, that's the truth about innovation, right? It's, uh, uh, are there any original ideas? Probably, but usually they're just a little bit of an improvement on someone else's idea, right? Or, exactly. or maybe just an application of someone else's idea. Exactly. Uh, but, but now something you said there that, that by getting in there and getting your hands dirty, being willing to, uh, to, to make up a, a room if you're managing uh, uh, room attendance in a in a hotel, or uh, that you've actually done that work, that helps a lot. And you said that it 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 it, um, it earns their respect. My guess is also that when managers do that, it gives them more of respect for the people who are working uh, doing that job too, right? Like sometimes you could look at that job and think, oh, how much is there to that, or or, or maybe not have a full appreciation of it, but doing that job, you really start to see, oh, wow, I'm not just earning their respect, but now I'm treat, you know, I'm going to uh, have more of a platform from which a real experience to treat them with respect Absolutely. and to treat their job as important and uh, their job as worth paying attention to. So I have a little riddle for you because uh, I think one of your superpowers is that you have had, as, I, as far as I can tell, in hotel, resort, country clubs, airlines, casinos, restaurants, private clubs, you've had pretty much every single job, including, <laughs> including cutting the holes on the golf course and parking the cars. Okay. But, 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 but what is a leader, manager, supervisor, or, or a mentor, a teacher, a trainer, um, what do they do if, if they haven't had every job? Because I don't think, I think you are somewhat unusual in having had every job in hospitality. You know, my first thought, Bruce, is always to put in the time. 
you have to put in the time. You know, I think that if you're not constantly learning to put in the time to to go find one of the smartest people in the company or the smartest team player, the most seasoned team player and talk with them and find out what they do. I think that also helps. And then I, I consider myself a, a student of of learning, which means I'm always reading, I'm always researching, um, I'm always looking for someplace else that, you know, another idea that someone else might have, because, you know, there's a lot of industries out there. And I think there's a lot of things that you can dabble in and then find the one that really excites you and go for it. You really have to put the time in to be able to research that. And so, you know, and like I said, I've kind of reinvented myself over the course of years because I got bored after about two years and the same thing. Okay, what's next? Okay, what's next? But not everybody is is like that. So I didn't like staying in one position because I wanted to be able to dabble in a little bit of everything and have a nice, well-rounded, you know, um, I've done that. Okay, great. What's next? And there's always a next. There's always a a deeper passion for something. And, you know, I'm in a casino now. I've never been in a casino. So guess what? I've got a lot of learning to do, a lot of learning to do just because I've been in all these positions. You know, I've got to learn table games and slots and in different positions, but hotels I kind of got and people I think is the same people because people like to be treated pretty much the same way with honesty, respect. You know, you have to get that part out first. And then they'll teach you. I've learned a lot of the stuff that I do because I've gone and they taught me how to do it. Jazz, no, that's not the right hospital corner on that bed. You got to do it again. Nope, Jazz, that's not how we fold the towels. You got to do it again. So I've been able to do those things because you have to be a student of the game. You have to be a student of your own profession. And I think that's important because if you stop growing, you just kind of become stagnant, you know, and I, I do a lot of research. I love talking to people about what they do and how they do it. And that's uh, been part of why I've been able to move around because I get bored and then I'm, I'm ready to move on to the next thing. And I think I found my home here uh, for the casino because there's so many moving parts, you know, but it's big, it's phenomenal family atmosphere. And it's uh, that's the kind of atmosphere that allows you to grow and allows you to learn your, your, your trade. And if you're not a master of your trade, whether it's, you know, machine tech or you are a manager, it's still a skill you have to learn. Most people don't know how to be managers, but guess what? You have to learn how to be one. It's a skill. It's just like driving a stick shift car. Right. It's like, uh, you know, if you're going to be a barber, you can't just, you know, start cutting people's hair. You got to learn how to you know, do the fades and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, you have to be a master of your skills. Um, and regardless of that's listening skills, you know, planning and organizing skills. And then, you know, I've learned throughout the course of my career that if I'm walking and you're talking to me, I'm not listening. And that might seem kind of weird, but, you know, it's a skill set that I've learned that as long as you're talking to me, I need to stay still and stop and focus engage, eye contact, write something down. I always have something to write on. And that way I'm learning how to engage with team members that works best for me in the listening and communicating. And then I pick out those words in that listening part. Mm, okay, I got that. So then it, it leads you to the questioning part, which is to clarify what it is that they just said. Yeah, and I, you've said so much. I want to unpack some of it. <laughs> One thing I want to ask you though, before we move on, because I'm 
uh, I'm curious about this, that, you know, I think that, okay, so you've had just about every job and luckily you, I think your real superpower is your curiosity, the fact that you're good at noticing things, you're good at remembering things, obviously you're good at learning. I mean, not everybody's good at learning, um, but, 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 but can curiosity and uh, being observant, noticing things, remembering things, um, you know, is that something that can be learned or does that, do you, do you have to like, cause I, I, I'm guessing you, you preternaturally that way. You're curious, you're a learning machine. Um, if somebody's not a learning machine, uh, can they learn to be more that way? Absolutely. You know, there's many property walks that I've been on where, you know, I will tell managers, let's go on a property walk. Let's go walk the, let's go walk the hotel. Let's go walk the property. And then we start pointing out things and they don't see the details. Okay. And then you have to point it out to them. I'm like, okay, well, did you see the cigarette butt over there? Uh, did you see the, the bird poop over here on the wall? Uh, did you see this uh, bent uh, three-legged cart that needs to go? Did you see that the gate is open and it should be closed? Did you see how the towels are not rolled perfectly on the chairs on the pool? You can learn how to be that detailed and to observe, but you have to look at things in a much different light than you would Oh yeah, the pool looks great. Well, let's dig into it a little bit. Let's break it down because you have to break it down into some very, very simple steps. If you don't break it down, most people will just look at things, but they never really dive into the details of what it is. You got to break it down into some simple steps. And, but I do believe that people can learn to be observant and to get into that details. It's like inspecting a guest room. You know, um, I can inspect a guest room and the general manager comes behind me and he finds five more things. Well, I learned from that. I now know how he's looking at it. And you have to look at it from a guest perspective. What is the guest going to look at? So one of the ways, it's kind of funny, but one of the ways that we inspect a bathroom at a hotel is that we sit actually on the toilet and we actually look around to see what a guest might see. Okay, right. well, that's where that's that's the perspective. So you have to look at it from, first of all, your guest, and then you know what's a safety issue, what could happen to your team members, and make sure that all of those bases are covered. And then you look at you know if you take care of those parts, your financial situation always is going to take care of it at that point. But it's you know it's interesting the way you describe the details because you know one might think okay so with enough experience. Uh, having the general manager trail you into a room enough times, uh, being told enough times, this is how a hospital corner is supposed to be done. Um, uh, you know, whatever those details are, the, the notice the cigarette butts, notice the, 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 the bird feces, notice that the gate is, is not closed, notice that the towels are not rolled up so tight. Um, and and so, uh, so you learn from experience, but so many people, they have experience, but they never get the wisdom, right? Uh, so, so are there specific techniques that you use as a teacher uh, to accelerate uh, the, the connecting those dots uh, uh, so that you can have less experience and learn more from the experiences you do have? I believe it goes back, Bruce, to the hands-on learning, um, the hands-on walking, to actually doing the job. A lot of team members and managers come in with a lot of knowledge. Uh, they've been sitting in classrooms. They've been reading books. 
but they haven't really had any of the knowledge, the actual hands-on experience. And when we talk about learning and development, that to me is the precise key. You have to touch it, feel it, smell it. If you don't touch it, feel it, and smell it, you're not going to be able to make the connection. You have to be able to pull the two together. Um, you know, if you look at, um, you know, the casino business, there's a lot of different moving parts. People are moving. It's a 24-hour operation. Well, one of the best things to do to find out what happens at 24-hour operation is to show up at 1 in the morning. Let's right. see what's happening at 1 o'clock in the morning. Uh, your night auditor at a hotel. When does he get to go to the bathroom if he's the only one at the front desk? What do you do when he does take a break? Who takes care of the guests coming up to the front desk when he does take a break? So how do you find out all those things unless you're directly in that situation? Put yourself in that same situation. When do they get to take a break and have lunch or breakfast or whatever it is, you know? So I would always meet those people at seven in the morning, or sometimes I would pop up at two o'clock in the morning and go walk the, the, the property. You know, what's happening? Where's my security guard? Well, he's behind the front desk sleeping. So, well, that's not a good spot. And you have to get involved in the situation to be able to understand it. And I ask a lot of questions. I'm a very curious person about what's going on. And I have no problems whatsoever um, knocking on the door of the CEO, the CFO, the, the CEO, whatever it is, I'm going to get the answers to the questions. And I've encouraged all of my team members to ask a lot of questions. If you're not sure, ask because somebody has the answer. Yeah. How, how do you, uh, so you tell them, okay, you got to get out there. You got to get in there. You got to roll up your sleeves. You got to uh, show up. Uh, you got to get into the mm -hmm. details uh, you, and, and you're telling them, be curious, ask questions, take notice. Um, I mean, maybe just being aware that what you should be in there doing is learning. Uh, maybe that is a big part of it um, because it's not enough just to go to a class, right? Mm -mm. No, you have to get in there. You have to, you know, and I'm a big checklist type person. Um, I love using checklists. I think that as busy as we get, we forget to write things down. And I'm a little old school, you know, and I don't care how you record it. You can put it on your phone. You can put it on a tablet. You can put it in crayons. I don't care. But you need to make sure that you use a checklist or something because we're very busy people. We have a lot on our plate. And I can't remember everything. So checklists find out. And also I've had great success by talking to the person that I've hired to do the job. What have you <laughs> learned? What have you, what can you teach me? You coming from another industry, you coming from another company, you might be similar, another hotel. What, what did y'all do well over there <laughs> that we can steal over here? You know, tell me how this could be different. Tell me how this could make it better. That's where your round tables come into play. You know, let's talk about the work. Let's talk about the work. Let's talk about, it's nice to meet in the morning. And I heard you say that a lot of times. Let's talk about the work. You know, it's great that you did this over the weekend and you did that tonight, but let's talk about what needs to get done. Because yeah. When uh... we get it all done, we can all take off and have a nice party on Friday. But today let's talk about the work. You know? That's, 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 that's a lot of magic in there. It, but and, 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 and you gotta, uh, you gotta talk about the work and you gotta find it interesting. I mean, what I always, uh, uh, find striking about talking with you is that you really find it interesting. 
right? You seem to really be interested in the details of everybody's job. Uh, that you know, even just pointing out that the night auditor, well, wait, when does he get to go to the bathroom? Like that's that that's a very empathetic question. But yeah, good question. What does happen when he goes to the bathroom? Because surely he's going to have to go to the bathroom, right? Um, well, that's and- where the managers of the, the the managers sometimes forget those things, you know. And how do you do a night audits evaluation? Okay, they've got an annual evaluation. Well, how do you know? Well, is all the paperwork in line? And you know, was it a busy night? And you know, are you judging them on the right things? And the only way that I know how to do that with any type of success is to get to know my people. You know, um, I spend a lot of time getting to know them, you know, a little bit on the personal side as well. I mean, if I need to know what kind of can't, what's your favorite candy bar or, you know, I always ask if they've got people that are serving in the military and, you know, that type of thing that might be important to them. I try to find out what's really important to people. And then I, I, I don't know, it's, it's kind of strange, but then I build on that, what's important to them. Because when you build on what's important to somebody, when the time comes that I need them, I, I know that they'll be there and they perform, you know, ex- unbelievable. So I do believe that you do have to spend a quality amount of time asking the really important questions. I'll give you another story. I worked in the Caribbean for two years and, uh, this was uh, toward the last part of my time there, and I was manager of three restaurants in the Caribbean. It was, uh, and they had uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and I would go to work about seven in the morning, and we had to be ready for the buffet. It was a huge breakfast buffet, and I would have probably 25 servers because people were in a, in a resort of that size, and it was only that one restaurant opened for breakfast and all the guests would come, you know, at the same time, pretty much. Cause that's what time people come in for a restaurant. Right. And I have about 25 And this culture that was on the restaurant at the hotel. I mean, on the Island was not used to me barking orders at them. First thing in the morning, come on guys, we got napkins to fold. I need you to take that section. I need you to, to fold this. I need you to go make sure we got uh, limes and lemons cuts. And how about setting up these tables, wiping down everything you do this. That's how I was when I first would go in in the morning and they would just walk like they would not move very fast. They would just kind of like stroll in and kind of ignore what directions I was given. And finally, I'm like, guys, what is wrong? And they said, well, you didn't say good morning. What do you mean? I didn't say good morning. You just started telling us what to do. You forgot to tell us good morning. Wow. And that was a wake up call. I'm like, okay, got it. All right. So the next day I came in and I said, good morning, everybody. And they said, good morning, Jazz. And I'm like, then I could start telling them what to do. And they instantaneously, but I had to recognize that there was something important to them. And it was basically a simple greeting of good morning. So I, I learned that you start off that conversation, regardless of what information you want that person to do that day, you have to start off with the niceties of good morning. How are you? Blah, blah, blah. And then get straight to the work, but not to the point where it takes, you know, 30 minutes, but something but unless, similar. unless you're managing robots, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, so, um, so the human element and, and you're, I mean, not everybody is natural or, or, or good at, at, at managing. Um, so how many people are on your team right now? 
Right now, you know, I'm the learning and development manager. I have one associate that works with one team member that works with me directly in the office, but the human resources team is made up of 10 people. So we collectively work together on different aspects of the human resources department. Um, everyone in their own specialty type thing, but collectively as a group, there's uh, 10 of us, but I have one team member that works directly with me in the learning and development department. And so are you responsible for the technical training also, like teaching people uh, how to do the basics of their jobs? No, um, mostly the um, new hire orientation. You know, I get them the first day, which is the most important day in anyone's career as a new position. Um, also, some of the other management type classes that I'm actually rolling out right now. I think that that mid-level manager position, in my opinion, is the most underserved, underdeveloped position in our industry. Um, it's the lack of uh, training on planning and developing, organizing their skills, actually managing people, how to do schedules. So I'm spending time on that particular layer of individuals, first time managers, how to treat supervisors, how to, how to go from supervisor to manager, what are some of the, the, the tools that they need, the skills. So I just finished a, a class coaching behavior in the workplace. How do you coach people that are not doing well and how do you coach people that are doing well? Um, I keep all the classes to two hours um, I'm getting ready to expound a little bit on some of your pod, uh, podcasts and your uh, blogs and your weekly emails, because I think some of your books are really relevant to, to that position. So I take different pieces out of it, um, especially the 27 Challenges. That's my favorite all-time book because oh, I don't have thanks. to read the whole thing. I can just take different pieces of it. Right, right. So we're going to be talking about that. How do they actually get that first 15 days of a new team member onboarded? Where's the checklist? Where's the standards? Where's the SOPs? So that position is something that I'm really focusing on right now at the casino. The mid-level mid managers. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and so how many mid-level managers in this organization? I want to say there's probably 50 Okay. So, yeah. so, 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 and, and, and so you're going to, you've managed a lot of people in your career. Am mm -hmm. I right? Yes. Um, and so what, what, what's your secret to, how do you teach managers uh, the subtleties of, well, you, you, you use the example of coaching people when they're doing well, coaching people when they're not doing so well. Uh, how, how do you, how do you get through to them? You take it one, one at a time, Bruce. I get one at a time. I limit the classes to 15 people and or eight people or seven people. But if we can make an impact with that amount, it just kind of doubles and, and it starts to balloon and they start talking amongst themselves. Oh man, you should go. You should, you should definitely take that. You should really be a part of that. Oh my God, this is really great, but it's not a one time and done. Um, I don't necessarily like the let's do class. And then everybody goes back out and say, Oh, that was great. Oh my God, that was fantastic. There's gotta be a follow-up. There's gotta be some real life experience. I want to hear you say it. I want to see you do what we just talked about. I want to see you demonstrate that. I want to see that performance. I want to see the turnover go down. I want to see more people staying in your department. Whatever it is, you, you take it one at a time. I take one team member at a time, one manager at a time. You coach, you, you deliver effective 
words, you have them role play. I'm the biggest role player in the world. I love to role play. You know, you give me an opportunity to play a team member and let them role play on me. I think those are some of the tools that I've used that um, will definitely, you know, because it, it can't be big. It has to be small. You have to start small and that's uh, that's what I plan on doing. Yeah, and you, you mentioned turnover because those mid-level managers, I mean, I'm guessing, I mean, I know it's true in restaurants. I know it's true in hotels. Um, I'm pretty sure it's also true in casinos and resorts that turnover is an issue, right? And every time somebody leaves uh, unexpectedly, uh, it puts uh, it puts pressure on everyone else. They, they, they're short-staffed, especially nowadays, everyone's short-staffed. It puts more pressure on on everyone, and um, so so. How do managers have an impact on turnover? How or what? what how do you teach them uh, at least to try to have an impact on turnover? Well, there's a couple of ways. One, you know, as I've mentioned before, is to get to know their team. When they get the first team member that first day, it's it's crucial that they actually put some time on their calendar to spend time with this individual. They have to have some type of checklist to guide them. Um, I'm, I'm a big believer in a departmental orientation. Tell the new team member your pet peeves, what you like, what you don't like, what's important, where, where to put your purse, where to sit, where to have lunch, all of those necessary items. When you can take off, where's the request off book, all the things that you sometimes forget then you really have to spend those first 15 days with that team member to really understand, you know, well, this is not exactly what I thought it, the job was going to be. We hear that sometimes. Well, that's right. not exactly what I thought it was going to be. You know, if it comes down to that, great. You know what? We made a hiring mistake. That's not something we like to say a lot, but sometimes you have to say, you know, maybe there's another position here at the casino for you. Let's look at this. Let's look at that rather than actually lose a team member. But sometimes people have come in and they are very specific about what they want. And at least in my previous job and say, you know, this is not meant for you. This is not a good match. Let me help you, you know, find something else. Or, you know, if it doesn't work out, then let's part ways and say thank you very much. But we try to move them around to fit their skill set, especially the generational Zs and different generations in the workplace. If you're not moving them into their likability <laughs> and what they enjoy, you're probably not going to keep that team member very long. Um, so, so it sounds like what uh, you're, you're teaching managers, hey, you got to spend time with people. You got to tell them how to succeed around here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, and, if, and if they got the wrong idea about the job, then you probably need to make some adjustments or else maybe it's not going to work too well. That's exactly correct. And you got to spend time with them. You know, um, we usually get a new team member. And what I find managers do is they hand them off to the buddy. Or they hand them off to, um, you know, you're going to follow or shadow this person. I hate right. that word, shadow. Ugh, it makes me crazy. Who am I shadowing? And it shadows for two days, one day, and then that person's off. So then they get moved on to another person for another two days or three days. And then the next thing you know, they've got a full section, right. you know, or they're working, touching our guest in the very first four or five days. And it just doesn't work. They get frustrated especially on a Friday or Saturday night when you're busy and you throw this person into this mix of 
uncomfortable situations and you've never really rehearsed with them what to do when they get an angry guest or a guest comes up and he's not very happy because he's just lost some money at the casino table or whatever it is. You have to role play all of those situations with them because then they don't like you very much if you don't do that because you're putting them in a very, it's it's not a win-win situation for them. It's a yeah, nobody wants to be set up to fail. I mean, Correct. how much of being a good manager, especially for relatively new employees, is uh, like teaching? I mean, so you're 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 in charge of teaching, uh, learning, and development. But how much is a manager's job really to be a teacher? I think a lot, Bruce. I really do believe that we really do need to spend more time teaching and making that connection with our team members. And, you know, most managers will say, I don't have time. That's why I hired a supervisor. That's why I hired a lead. Okay, great. Well, then get them the skills that they need to be able to do that particular piece of your job. Manager's job is to make sure that they coordinate, they relate, they interact, and they respond to questions, but they have to put in the work, they have to put in the time. It's just like Good Job Jazz, at the end of the night, you have to pull somebody aside and say, how did it go tonight? Give me some specifics of things that went well tonight and give me two things that didn't work well tonight. What? And I'm gonna write those things down for you. Okay, so great, okay, so the next night, give me somebody else. At least do that part, <laughs> You know, even if you're not teaching the skill yourself. And then you have to follow up. I think managers sometimes forget to follow up with team members um, or they'll come back a week later and say, so how's it going? Everything going okay for you? That is not specific enough. You have to ask very specific questions if that's what you really want to be in is a good manager, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you a thousand percent. And um, and especially nowadays, uh, uh, if you can, uh, it's so hard to hire somebody um, if you can try to uh, make it more likely that they're going to succeed, they're going to get on board and up to speed more quickly, they're going to be able to do a good job faster, start adding value faster, they're also going to feel successful and be much more likely to stick around, right? You know, it's about that connection. I think that, you know, that's why I really dedicate the first day of orientation to our team members. I believe that you know, reviewing what the culture is of the casino. We have the COO come in and explain a little bit more about that. It's about putting in the time and really making an impression that, yes, you've made the right choice. And I also ask new team members, why did you choose us? Why did you choose us? Because I want to know well, that's good. what that connection is. What was it? And, you know, you get a variety of different answers. Oh, my mom told me I needed to go get a job. Well, that's a good answer, but that's not really what I'm looking for. Why did you But at least it tells you something. It, it is. It tells me, okay, well, this person. So, you know, that connection of the very first day to me cannot be wiped away because most people, if you ask them, they will remember their first day at, on the job. They'll remember their 90th day on the job, and they'll typically remember their last day on the job. Yeah, All I think significant it, milestones. I, 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 I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, and uh, so so where does the Harley fit in? To all this? <laughs> well, that's my that's my relief, uh, Bruce. I tell people, you know, you don't have to worry too much about buying me birthday presents or trying to figure out whether I you know, need jewelry or clothes or take fancy trips or any kind of stuff. All you got to do is buy me motorcycle parts, you know, my. <laughs> My 2019 Softail Deluxe is what I get uh, my 
best pleasure and relief off of. So that's what I do. I buy motorcycle parts and I go on trips and enjoy the, the freedom of riding my bike and it's in my garage and I just, I, whenever I can get, get out, that's what I do. That's my, uh, whew, that's my relief. And, uh, and so that's also kind of uh, an ongoing uh, a proof statement of just how cool you are. <laughs> well, I enjoy it. I, I do enjoy putting my leather jackets on and having a good time out there. And uh, it's just it's just a great way to relieve and get that smell of that fresh air out there. It's just fantastic. So do, 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 like do people know that about you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, most people know that I have a Harley and I'm a pretty much of a bad butt, you know, but that's, you know, I'm a bad girl. So. <laughs> that's, that's, that's no secret. That's no secret. Not, not a big secret. They kind of know that. So. That's awesome. Hey, so if you were going to, um, uh, somebody walks in and they, they, they say to you like, well, okay, you know, here I am now washing dishes um, and, and how do I get to be you someday? You know, I'd probably tell them, you know, be curious. Um, be hands-on um, and ask a lot of questions. Um, you have to be able to do those three things, in my opinion. Um, you can't just stand on the side of the dishwasher and not want to go over and help them uh, peel carrots or you know slice chicken or whatever it is. You know, be curious. Go get your hands dirty. Go dig in the dirt a little bit. You know, that's that's what I would always say, because if I can find out what the chef is thinking, like I did with Ruth Fertel and find out what and how she cut meat and why she did it and why it had to look a certain way. And I I learned a lot from just asking some questions rather than just washing dishes. So that's what I would tell them. Be curious and get your hands dirty. I think it also uh, uh, you're such a people person. It's it, it must be that interacting with people that way, uh, then they get to know you, and then the way they get to know you is through this uh, dynamic process of answering your questions and showing you what they're doing, and and you're genuinely interested. So that creates a genuine rapport. I think. I I would think that I'm known for being honest and being upfront with people. And um, I sometimes am sometimes, you know, maybe mistakenly talk as I'm just overly aggressive and energetic, but it's more direct. I think I'm not, I think I'm more direct than I think most people would think, but it's a good direct, you know, I sometimes, like I said, I just get to the point, but it's all meant from a caring and standpoint of, getting to know people and um, just appreciating what they do because it's, it's not easy doing jobs in hotels or casinos or working hours. And um, you know, I, I do believe I've put the work in. If you put the work in, there is a reward. That's for sure. Your rewards in life are directly proportionate to the service you give others. Yep. That's it. Rewards in life are directly proportionate to the service you give others. I like that. Well, I will say um, uh, from the very first time uh, uh, I made your acquaintance, you, you made an impression. You, you make an impression. That is for darn sure. Uh, Jazz Jean, thank you for being a guest on The Indispensables. Thank you, Bruce. It's been my pleasure. My pleasure. It's been awesome. Next time on The Indispensables, Bruce will be joined by the president of Water's Edge Winery, Ken Limberger. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at goto underscore podcast. That's at goto underscore podcast. 
Learn more about GoToism in my new book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, available now from Harvard Business Review Press, wherever books are sold. And you can learn more about our work at Rainmaker Thinking by visiting us at rainmakerthinking.com. Until next time, stay strong and stay indispensable.